Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state of the art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca/slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Danny Parody, Western correspondent for APTN News, former CanadaLand contributing editor, and owner of a French bulldog named Louis, whom I hope to one day meet. Welcome back to CanadaLand. Hi, Jonathan. Louis says hello, too. Oh, hi, Louis. Today on the show, the shorties. or maybe the cutties or the, the short cutties, a special award show highlighting variably consequential media weirdness from the past year. Welcome to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. This episode is brought to you by Angela and Ryan, Moira Gracie, Dorm Desjardins, Aiden Buckland, Aaron Foley, Taylor Brett, Owen Helmson, and Tarek. Hello, my name's Tarek Jalboot from Hamilton, Ontario. The reason I support Canada Land is I really like Jesse Brown's contrarian point of view. I actually find myself agreeing with him a lot of the time after he explains why he has the beliefs that he does. I appreciate the fact that we get introduced to topics and reporters that we don't really hear in the mainstream media. Keep up the great work. On Wag the Doug, which is the other podcast I host or co-host, we do an annual thing called the Dougie Awards in which we give semi-ironic or largely ironic awards to various notable and often largely forgotten incidents, weirdness, things, people, places, events, lobbyists, tweets from the past year. And 
In this relatively slow news week on the first week of the new year, we thought we'd be doing a similar thing on shortcuts, although that raises the question of what do we call it? There is already a thing called the Shorty Awards. It's a social media awards thing. The Cuddies doesn't sound quite right unless it's like a, an award for Blue Rodeo tribute bands. Or just short cutties. Maybe the Jessies, in which like a statuette is a little figurine of Jesse Brown wagging his finger. Uh, the Jessies was the name of the Vancouver Theatre Awards, but it turns out they kind of shut down last year. So maybe that name is available. Or, or maybe it's just sort of like an oops, all duly noted edition of the show. Will this be the first in a new annual tradition or the only one ever? Well, let's see how this goes. Do you have any suggestions for names, Danielle? I like the Cuddies. I thought it was cute. Cuddies. Our first category is best place in Canada that Americans can't quite wrap their heads around. We've got a couple nominees. The first is the city of Ottawa. So on the front page of the New York Times on Tuesday, February 8th, so almost a year ago, there was an article headlined, Ottawa protesters far right and around the world, accompanied by a full-color photo splashed above the fold, stretching across two-thirds of the front page. It had the caption, a convoy of truck drivers has paralyzed Canada's capital. They oppose the mandatory vaccination of truckers crossing the border. Now, even if you can assume that that was actually the full organizing principle, the issue is that it was actually a photo from Toronto, not Ottawa. It was a photo from the one-day protest that had taken place the preceding weekend at the intersection of Bloor Street West and Avenue Road. And you can even read the sign that says Bloor. It's spelled out there. So the Times issued a correction for that. And I mean, like the same day in a live report, CNN reporting live from the city spelled it on screen as O-T-T-O-W-A. And it wasn't even just the Americans, to be fair. On TV, even BBC News the same week had this. The city's mayor, Jim Watson, said the city was completely out of control, with protesters outnumbering police. Which is all fine and accurate enough, except that was also over footage of Toronto. I'm not sure what it is that people find so hard to grasp about Ottawa. I mean, like, yeah, there's like Tucker Carlson in October 2020. What's the capital of Canada? For the record, it's a place called Ottawa. But then there was also like this final Jeopardy question from November 2021. We're dealing with world capitals in final Jeopardy today. Let's look at the clue. An annual event called Winterlude includes skating on the Rideau Canal, a UNESCO World Heritage Site in this city. 30 seconds. Good luck. And none of them got the answer to that. Amy Schneider, one of the greatest contestants to ever play the game, guessed Amsterdam. So, Danny, why do you think people find it hard to wrap their heads around the concept of Ottawa? I think it's funny from somebody on the other side of the country for whom our own geography seems like not understandable to Ontarioans. Is that what you are? Ontari uh, Ontarians. Ontarians. You all deserve it. I don't feel sorry for you. That's fair. Our other nominee is Cape Breton. So another all-time Jeopardy great is, of course, Matea Roach, who's now the host of our Backbench podcast. But back following her Jeopardy run last spring, she was profiled by the New York Times style section, which had a difficult time grasping Cape Breton. Uh, the article, as originally published, quoted her as saying, We drove up to Cambridge to see my grandparents yesterday and came back down to Halifax today. Now, what she actually said was Cape Breton. There was presumably a transcription error. So the New York Times issued a correction. An earlier version of the story misidentified the name of a town in Canada. It is Cape Breton, not Cambridge. Of course, Cape Breton is not actually a town in Canada, so they had to amend that correction to say Cape Breton is, in fact, an area in Canada. What do we think the winner here is? Hmm. 
I'm going to have to go with a correction of a correction. Oh. See, I would say Ottawa just because like, it just seems to elude everyone's grasp as every different media network from the States or even from the UK tries to sort of figure it out. It just sort of slips away from them and they always immediately default or substitute another city or just the idea disappears to them altogether. But yeah, the New York Times issuing a correction and then having to correct that correction. It's an upset. <laughs> perhaps it is. Good for Cape Breton. So, Jonathan, we have a, a new category this mm. year in our first year and uh, maybe a not repeated category because uh, any discussion on this topic is, is quite controversial. So prepare your DMs accordingly. Oh, my. One of this year's biggest news stories had to do with people who are known as pretendians. Ah, yes. So we have the best pretendian category. Now... Last year was actually a bigger year in this category where mm -hmm. everybody was being exposed as a pretendian. But this year, there are some pretty notable contributors to this category. And we have to say, if only for legal reasons, that it's often very challenging to prove whether or not somebody is, in fact, uh, Indigenous. And that often these categories are more political than they are racial. So an answer that you hear is just take a DNA test, but that doesn't necessarily mm. do anything for you. No. So with that preamble, we have Mary Ellen Turpel Lafond, who was a heavy hitter in, in law and, and is currently apparently unemployed, uh, according to actually relatively breaking news. Yeah, no longer at UBC. But at least as recently as last fall, she did maintain that she's of Cree, Scottish, and English heritage and a member of the Muskeg Lake Cree Nation. But she's only the runner up. The winner of this year's category is. Still a drum roll here. Drum roll. Danielle Smith. Yes. That's the premier of Alberta. And she wins because of the, the, the absolute pointlessness of her ties to uh, indigeneity. She wasn't claiming to be Alberta's in first indigenous premier. No, it was thinner than that. This was a story that you broke. That's right. This was a great story. You broke at APTN. Thank you. So the claims were were really most prominently mentioned back in 2013 mm -hmm. or so when we had the Lake of Fire incidents where um, Wild Rose candidates had a blog post surface that talked about how um, you know members of the LGBT community would burn in a lake of fire. And in the legislature, Premier Smith, or, well, she wasn't Premier mm -hmm. at the time, but Danielle Smith stood up and said, my great-great-grandmother was... Mary Crow, she was on the trail of tears. Like, how dare you say that I am bigoted? Because, in fact, I have Indigenous ancestry. And then she's kind of brought this up from time to time. So that's our winner. Best Pretendian. Yes, it is not a category in which I would personally feel comfortable voting. But I am glad that you have done the work to have the expertise to name this. Okay, the next category is another one that is in your wheelhouse, by which I mean province, and that would be most thorough definition. The morning after last year's Oscars, then-Alberta Premier Jason Kenney tweeted a meme of Will Smith slapping Chris Rock, in which Smith was labeled with the word reality and Rock with the words green energy policies, to evidently suggest that, I guess, reality had taken offense to something that green energy policies had said about its wife, I, I, I assume. At a press conference at a grocery store later that morning, reporters repeatedly asked Kenny about it, trying to figure out, like, is he 
kind of implicitly condoning violence? Why is he using something that is kind of an assault or at least certainly an act of, of aggression, if nothing else? Why is he kind of using that to make a point? Is that a good way to have a debate? Is that helpful for the discourse? Eventually, exasperated, he looked down and read from his phone. Uh, a meme is defined, I see, as a humorous image, video, piece of text, etc., that is copied often with slight variations and spread rapidly by internet users. <laughs> yes. That sounded like somebody reading something with, like, a gun to their head. Like, he does not want to be in that conversation. <laughs> I got handed to him for literally reading an Oxford Dictionary definition of the word meme at a press conference in a grocery store. The next category is the best at or worst at or most tweets deleted hastily by a newspaper CEO. And that's got to go to Marina Glogovitz, uh, who was appointed president and CEO of the Toronto Star back in mid-April and was pretty immediately called out for some of her tweets about vaccines and vaccine restrictions. And, you know, by the next day, she had deleted, it seemed to be exactly three of them, which included comments like, we are witnessing a policy and government capture by a massive corrupt drone corporation, referring to Pfizer, dig deeper folks, and vaccinated and had COVID, but I will not step into any establishment that requires passports on principle. Did the living in a communist country thing. Thank you. She apologized if her personal views offended anyone. And then seven months later, she was gone. She's no longer at the Star, although that was almost certainly due to the change in the paper's ownership that saw Jordan Batov take full control from his business partner, the more conservative Paul Rivette. Incidentally, Batov and Rivette jointly took home our award for best drama at a newspaper, but we handed that out earlier in the non-broadcast portion of our ceremony. Danny, I believe you have a nominee or perhaps even a winner for most online Canadian. Is it Jesse? Is it Jesse? <laughs> well, Jonathan, we're going to play a little game here. Ooh, 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 a game. I'm going to read you a couple of the best takes, maybe not the best, maybe the worst, I don't know, uh, from our um, most online contenders. And you're going to try and guess who these people are. Oh, this is such a great idea. Let's see where to start. Okay, there are in fact no feminists who are conservative. What there are is feminists mugged by radical gender ideology who admit, often with chagrin, that conservatives are their best allies because they saw through the Marxist queer theory BS from day one. Who's your favorite online? I mean, there's like a whole corner of the internet dedicated to various combinations of those words. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I mean, Jordan Peterson is their patron saint, but is it too, is it too easy to say Jordan Peterson? Uh, uh, Barbara Kay? Is it Barbara Kay? You got it. Barbara oh, Kay. Barbara Kay. Oh, this was like, in the, I, think it was, I think it was maybe the first, very first ever episode of Shortcuts. This is way back before my time. My time hosting my time at Candleland. Uh, the guest was uh, Emma Titles, a Toronto star columnist. Maybe she was in the Claims then, Jesse's cousin. And she performed a song about Barbara Kay, like an acoustic guitar song. And I have not thought about it in a few years. Barbara, if you're listening, I wrote a song for you. It's called B&E. Let's hear it. Barbara Kay, we don't have a lot in common, but if you're game, I'd like to take you out for ramen. Barbara Kay, we'll get cozy at Ryoji. Barbara Kay. Mm, I love that deep cut. Okay, 
So that's contender one. Yes. Contender okay. two. As a media watcher, I've had to admire how good Pierre Polyev is at social media. His latest video is inspired. He's figured out how to present a policy that would kill thousands of people as an act of compassion. It's pure evil. Oh, that one's Jesse. That one's Jesse. <laughs> yes. I know that one's Jesse. <laughs> All right. Okay. Number three. I'm playing a new disc golf course tomorrow. Unfortunately, it's one of those snotty places that has a dress code. And um, there, there's an attached photo which uh, reads out the dress code. Mesh shirts, muscle shirts, any attire with offensive writing or graphics are not permitted. Halter tops and tube tops are also inappropriate. Who is it? Is that Jonathan K? How are you getting all of this? I don't, because he, he likes games. He likes various. I'm that one. I didn't know that one. I just guessed because he's he's someone who likes to play. He likes games and yet cannot help but turn something like he's gonna go have fun at disc golf, but he has to make it into some kind of like Twitter warrior fight. I, I'm not even sure what point he's making here. Actually, yeah, it's also that sort of perfect down the middle. It's like, which thing is he making fun of here, if any? Yes. Or is it just a wry observation? Is it even a wry? Is it even an observation? Is it, or is it just a photo? Is it snooty? I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> but it's a very Jonathan K tweet. All right. Last one. This one was uh, this one was tweeted on Christmas Day. Oh, I was not online. So this is excellent. Social media as an incubator of personality and behavioral psychopath, and then it just cuts off. Um, but it's actually a link to a Science Direct article that talks about social media as an incubator of personality and behavioral psychopathology, symptom disorder, authenticity, or psychosomatic social contagion. So who tweeted that out on Christmas Day? Is that Jordan Peterson? <laughs> yes, that's Jordan Peterson, who is the winner of our most mm. online Canadian. <laughs> Like yesterday, he tweeted over 20 times, and that does not include his retweets. So by and far, it's right up there with Elon for uh, ostensibly wealthy men who spend far too much time on Twitter instead of like going to the sarcophagus in Egypt to like sleep and, and figure out what it's like to be a pharaoh. If I had that money, I think I would make different choices. Pharaoh money? Pharaoh money. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. 
Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. Danny, as you well know, on this show, we like to duly note things. What would you like to note, Julie, Danny? All right, taking a break from our, our fun <laughs> award ceremonies, I want to note that January 4th, uh, which will be a day late after you're listening to this episode, is uh, the first official National Ribbon Skirt Day. So this day is in recognition of Isabella Kulak. Uh, she wore a ribbon skirt, a beautiful ribbon skirt, to a formal wear day in at a Saskatchewan public school in December 2020. And an education assistant told her that that was not considered formal attire. So as an attempt to educate and promote, um, you know, an, an Indigenous garment that, that has been ceremonial and, and it is considered formal culturally, uh, that is the official National Ribbon Skirt Day. So, yeah. Hmm. Thank you. I, I, I did not know that. Duly noted. Now, I would like to note, Duly, something that it's one of my favorite annual traditions. So in December, there are like a couple things I always look forward to, a couple things I always look forward to coming out. What is the National Ballet of Canada's list of who's going to be playing cannon dolls in that year's production of The Nutcracker? There's like little cameos for local media personalities that get to jump around a bit. But it's always like to me like a fun annual rundown of, okay, who's on Toronto's C-list this year? The other thing I look forward to is the Management Information Circular from Post Media, which is Canada's largest newspaper chain. A Management Information Circular it's much more interesting than it sounds. In fact, it sounds like a kind of term that's been crafted to be as boring as possible. If you had to put three different words together that would repel people's interest, that's probably what you would do. Um, but it's a document that comes out from Post Media and every publicly listed company, usually on an annual basis. And among other things, it basically gives a rundown of the people running the company, including how much compensation they got that year in the, the fiscal year. This year, the five highest paid executives at Post Media, and by this year I mean that their fiscal year from September 2021 through August of last year, the top five executives got a total of about $3.5 million between them, including a $151,000 bonus to Andrew McLeod, the CEO. That's a lot of money, but it's actually a bit down from what it was previously. In 2020, it was like six and a half million with about two and a half million in bonuses. In 2021, it was eight million across six people with more than half of that in bonuses, including like a $900,000 payout to the CEO as sort of like an extra bonus bonus that wasn't even part of his normal bonus plan. They just sort of gave it to him. And that roughly worked out to the same sum that Post Media happened to get from Quebec's special print media tax credit that year. So it's down a bit, but it's still... Pretty high, but though it also, I should note, does not include another uh, nearly half a million dollars, but 457000 paid out to board chair Paul Godfrey. 
And another thing that comes out every year is a snapshot of their annual workforce as of like August 31st of a given year. And I've been charting that, uh, you know, graphing that out. You know, as you would expect, this graph starting in 2011 takes a dip, goes down, 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 takes a big bump in 2015 when they acquired the Sun newspaper chain, then crashes down, 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 well below where it was before they got the Sun papers until it sort of hugs the bottom of my chart. An interesting thing, though, is that there was actually a bit of an uptick this year. That is to say, they were down to about 2,000 employees in 2021 and up to about 2100 in 2022 that is almost certainly due to their acquisition of the papers from Brunswick News in New Brunswick and already we're sort of seeing that workforce be whittled away since uh, at the end of December a number of people who work for the Daily Gleaner uh, were tweeting that they had accepted voluntary buyouts so much as Postmedia had swelled its workforce when they bought the Sun Chain and then grad that gradually melted away, this may be happening as well. I sent an email this morning to a Postmedia spokesperson just asking, like, how many people did you gain when you got the Brunswick Papers? And, you know, roughly how many positions are you hoping to eliminate? And I haven't heard back as of this recording. Okay, so I'm thinking, like, if we were to overlay the graph of employees with the graph of pay raises, I'm pretty sure as we see the crest and fall of employees, you also see, like, I remember it was a really good year for Paul Godfrey when he decimated many of the acquisitions from Post Media. I mean, it's always a good year for Paul Godfrey, right? That's kind of his thing. Is like, no matter what happens, always a great year for Godfrey. Duly noted. Our next category is Proudest Media Acquisition. Back in January, a year ago, Zoomer Media bought BlogTO. Now, I should explain what Zoomer Media is and what BlogTO is for those who are not quite so into the Toronto media bubble that you may not know. Zoomer Media is sort of the mini media empire from Moses Namer, who was the founder slash visionary guy who shepherded City TV in its heyday. It has a few radio stations, TV channel, stuff like that. It's sort of his thing. They run out of a building the honest to goodness called the Zoomerplex uh, in Toronto's Liberty Village neighborhood. BlogTO, which you may have heard if you've listened to this show, is a uh, Toronto city blog slash, I want to be a little nicer than content farm, but somewhere between a city blog and a content farm that is a very successful, ubiquitous website with journalism of varying quality, but certainly if you Google the name of any given restaurant, that will be the first thing that comes up. Anyway, they got it for $15 million. And one fun thing is that because Zoomer is a publicly listed company, we now know how much BlogTO makes. They only got the company in January, but Zoomer calculated that if they'd owned it for their full financial year, it would have brought in $4.8 million in gross revenue for the year, of which $1.3 million would have been profit. But this wins this category for proudest acquisition, not just because of the healthy income, but because it led the 80-year-old Zneimer in a promotional video to declare, Ich bin ein Blogger. <laughs> wow. Exactly. And the next category is best throwing of colleagues under the bus. For me, this has got to be the one of Rex Murphy at the George Jonas Freedom Awards, hosted by the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, telling a roaring crowd, who giving him a standing ovation, just how much journalists suck. The news media of this country and North America is not only mendacious, it is incompetent, it is compromised, it is corrupt, it is illiterate, 
It is stupid and it is vile. Murphy, of course, is a regular columnist of the National Post, not on staff, a, you know, a freelance contributor, I'm sure a well-compensated one. And I'm sure all the various people who do work at the National Post and do the hard work of reporting and put in long hours to really try to break news and do the best they can must have really appreciated his uh, saying, you know, journalism in this country sucks. You're all corrupt and vile. <laughs> I have to admit that was a pretty good nomination. Once again, Rex shows his absolute dominance at opening a thesaurus and and picking out words to use. My nomination is um, Tara Henley, who has just reached a milestone of her substack, turning one year. Um, So... At the time uh, when she when she quit, when she self-canceled, um, she was called by the New York Post a veteran news producer. Uh, she was, in fact, a casual news producer. And she was the woman who quit the CBC in uh, That's right. quite a loud, bloggy, intellectual dark web huff. Yes, uh, in disgust because the national network was jettisoning journalistic integrity for the woke radical political agenda. So, you know, she talks about how when she started in 2013, she felt that the uh, broadcaster produced some of the best work in the country. But by the last month, she has said it embodied some of the worst trends in mainstream journalism. And here's a quote. It is to sign on enthusiastically to a radical political agenda that originated on Ivy League campuses in the United States and spread through American social media platforms that monetize outrage and stoke societal divisions. And then she goes on, you know. What is she doing now? Uh, she's still got her Substack. That's okay. where I saw her one-year anniversary. Oh, did she, she note the one-year anniversary? She did, yes. What is it? Uh, Lean Out Turns One. Oh, lovely. There we are. Unlike Rex Murphy, not really a notable Canadian. When she first rage quit, most of our reaction was, who? I mean, I'd say, I have to say Rex Murphy because he's kind of still there and still doing his thing. And he's still the biggest columnist at the newspaper, right? I mean, Tara Henley, not many people had heard of her before. I mean, it wasn't even the first time she'd sort of made a show out of quitting the CBC. She'd actually written a book previously that had used that as a jumping off point. In that case, she had quit due to like totally understandable stress issues. But yeah, no, Rex Murphy is still there propping up the paper while at the same time undermining it if it's possible to do both of those things at once. So, uh, I I mean, I would have to vote for Rex. You know, solely on the basis of volume, uh, as I noted, he trends almost every um, time he has a column out, despite having very little social media presence. And the fact that he, in a room full of people to at least some applause, besmirched the entire industry, I, I think you're right. Let's give it to Rex. Corrupt and vile. Woo! (laughs) And Danny, I believe you have an award for best troll of a province. Is this the best troll in a given province or the best trolling of a province? This is the best trolling of a province. So, Jonathan, this year's nomination was uncontested. It comes from, as so many hate read pieces do in this country, Toronto Life. Mm. Now, Jonathan, did you read a story about uh, 30-something from Mississauga who came west? I heard about this story, but I feel like I've sort of stopped falling for Toronto Life's things years ago. But I value my time enough to not have read it. That was such a Toronto answer. So, um, 
Alberta is new to the trolling of uh, Toronto life. Oh. Although I'm sure that we have had the occasional column come across um, where, you know, somebody's parents buy them a $3 million house and now they lecture mm. the rest of us on financial responsibility. But this is, I would think, this is Alberta sort of like premier engagement with Toronto life. Ooh, so so uh, Jackie Thomas uh, came here from, at first she... She talks about moving from Toronto, but in the opening paragraph, she does talk about moving from Mississauga to what we originally were not sure if it was Leduc or something outside of our ring road. Like outside of Edmonton's ring road? Yeah, Edmonton's ring road. Anything outside of that by the snobbish downtown elite would be considered not really Edmonton. Ah. And so, uh, and I include myself in that category, even though I live sort of in the suburbs now. But not this, not as far okay. as uh, as Jackie Thomas, who lived in a, a neighborhood called Windermere. And so uh, somewhat bizarrely, um, she seems to have left her job as a training manager for Little Caesars Canada, uh, left her condo and then moved. Now she she imagines herself as a as a young Sex in the City type character, and she loves you know finishing up work and heading straight to Cactus Club. She loves Earls. Now, if you live in Edmonton, going to Cactus Club and Earls is pretty on point. That is a you know hockey Cactus Club and Earls mm. is definitely a part of our our culture. So anyway, um, she moved back because she just found it boring and intolerable to live here. And that enraged and broke the brains of Albertans for at least three days. Really? Oh, tell me about this. Tell me about this. Tell me more. Oh, including myself. I mean, you know, I got on there and, and put a screed against how Mississauga is like devoid of any kind of personality or, or even downtown. And, and, you know, how laughable it is to also claim that you're leaving Toronto when you, in fact, live in a suburb that's like half an hour away. <laughs> I mean, technically, it's directly adjacent to Toronto. But yeah, for those who are less well acquainted with the urban geography of the greater Toronto area, Mississauga is a suburb, but it has like three quarters of a million people. It's one of the biggest cities in the country, frankly, but it's also not really a city. It's sort of like what would happen with a city if you tried to keep property taxes as low as possible and didn't invest in public space and then after 50 years realized, oh shit, we should have places for people to walk and ways for them to travel because this is not pleasant and it's gotten really big and there's like a million people here. We have no infrastructure. So it's that. And the fact that she would choose to prefer that to at least suburban Toronto to suburban Alberta, huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I mean, she has a point. Well, Windermere is, is new. She was able to buy a house for cheap, but she didn't really experience, at least to an Edmontonian, the actual center of culture in Edmonton, which is actually quite an artsy community. So we were, you can hear my defensiveness. We were all, we were all shocked and appalled and, and deeply offended that some people did not like our, her stay in Edmonton. And then on the other hand, as good Canadians, you know, we all wish that we had known and, and could have shown mm. her a better time than her uh, than her Mississauga existence. She did make an appearance on breakfast television where she was very unapologetic. Now, there was no part of me that said, let me leave my city to go to Edmonton for this great robust social scene. I knew I was coming from a 10 and I thought I would be going to like maybe a six, a five, but a two Devo, a two, <laughs> there was nothing happening in that city. <laughs> And our final 
award in the morning, afternoon, evening, or whenever you happen to be listening to this is best... Well, we didn't quite settle on F up or screw up, but let's just say best blunder. And it's something we've talked about before on this show. I think I offered as a duly noted shortly after it happened, but it's just... It's still one of the most remarkable screw-ups I've had the privilege of seeing in my, I don't know, decade and a half of closely following Canadian media. And it was courtesy of Frank Magazine, the Halifax one, which is since gone out of business or since closed down, not the Ottawa one, which is still running. And they thought they had a major scoop, a really, really extraordinary scoop regarding the perpetrator of the April 2020 mass killings across Nova Scotia. The lead of that story said that a 34-second snippet of audio tape shows that Gabriel Wortman was considered to be a person of interest in the still-unsolved murder of a Dartmouth man in 2004, according to a longtime friend of the mass killers. And they had an audio snippet that they believed was the Mounties grilling uh, Gabriel Wortman about this killing. Here, here's the clip. Listen to the clip. And second coming, he is the mouthpiece and messenger and clarion of God. He is also dead. Oh, God. Yeah. You don't seem too surprised to hear that. Why is that? I had a vision that it was so. Oh, really? Okay. So when was the last time you saw him? I mean, other than your dream. Huh? <gasps> oh, God, I got it. So, as they wrote in a subsequent editor's note, the audio clip that forms the basis of the story is a fraud. Purported by Rob Doucette to be a clip of police questioning his friend Gabriel Wortman in the murder of Kevin James Petrie, it was lifted from an old episode of CSI. Frank regrets the air. That was Lawrence Fishburne and Alan McBeal's Greg German in a 2009 CSI episode that was called The Descent of Man. Follow-up article, Frank explained they'd listened to it carefully. It seemed really real, uh, and they were having trouble... You know, that is kind of story you just couldn't go out and have verified. Uh, there, there were probably things they could have done, one would hope. Google the um, the text. That would have been a, an obvious one. And I signed it for Paramount Plus briefly, even, to watch that clip in the original context. It is one of the most remarkable things I've ever had the privilege of encountering, of mistaking a clip from a CSI episode as uh, a genuine police interrogation and reporting that as a scoop. Oh, I think it's every journal. Like, I, I don't take any pleasure out of this one, I have to say, uh, as an active reporter, because, y- you know, you get in these mentality where you're you're writing and you hear something. And mm-hmm. I suppose even though it, it seems a little farcical, like, oh, I, I believe it is so is a mm-hmm. not really a line that you think a Canadian criminal would speak. But. I can I can empathize a bit with the like thinking you got something and being so excited that your your good sense is overwhelmed and it oh it's horrible issuing corrections is horrible anyway yeah but what a screw up now that Frank is no longer around I guess they won't get fooled again That is Shortcuts for this week, and perhaps the first annual, or perhaps the first and only, Shorty Cutty Cut Cutty Shortcut Cutty Awards. Uh, thanks for joining me, Danny. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. We are on Twitter at Canadaland. 
Uh, you can email me at jonathan at canadaland.com. I will read everything you send. I can't, I'm not great at getting back to emails. I am uh, also on, I guess I'm still on Twitter at Goldsby. I'm actually weirdly more active on Mastodon these days, if that's not a contradiction in terms. I don't know how to explain what a Mastodon handle is. Just look for my last name. And if you can spell it, you can probably find it. Where can people find you, Danny? You can find me still on Twitter as well at Danny Parody or tooting very rarely on Mastodon, but the same handle. This episode is produced, as always, by a very patient of Eva Lassard, with additional production by Tristan Capacchioni, who is also very patient. Our production coordinator is Andre Pru, and the music is by So-Called. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you value this podcast, please support us. We're live listeners like you. As a supporter, you'll get premium access to all our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. You'll also get our exclusive new monthly newsletter, discounts on Candleland merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events, and more than anything, you'll be a part of a solution to Canada's journalism crisis, and you'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everyone. Come join us now. Click the link in your show notes or head to candleland.com slash join. You can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music, which is included with Prime. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.